If you compare beer with bratwurst, and cheese with wine, or even whiskey, with donuts, then we think you can pair all of these delicious drinks with murder, conspiracies, missing persons, and more. Drink with us as you feed your craving for true crime and creepy stories. And we are here and back. Back in here. <laughs> Whether people want us to be or not. Hey. I'm already taking a drink. It's uh it's good stuff. So, how are we this evening? Um parched cuz I'm not going to take a drink until you tell me what we're sipping on. <clears throat> I was getting parched. Um Yeah. Was, I'm, I'm, I'm already a little in it because I had a a work function. Oh yes. <laughs> So I had a few there. So we're uh, gonna see how this goes. Yeah, it might. <laughs> everybody might be able to see the uh, brighter see side of me here. Yes, because we got. Video oh, going. they can see. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, uh, yeah, and in fact, last week's episode is gonna go up tomorrow on our YouTube page. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Super thrilled about that. Um, but yeah, we're, we're recording everything now and I know, I think we've mentioned it before and it just, nothing really worked out, but we got it all figured out. Yeah. I got it all figured out and, and now we're not just a treat good. for your ears. Yeah. If you want to be a creeper and creep up and <laughs> look what at we what look we're like? doing, <laughs> you can watch the video. All right. So you are going to tell us a real fun tale, mm -hmm. um, Takes some place in Cleveland, correct? Cleveland, Ohio, like the mid thirties. I thought you said it was like late twenties to mid thirties. No, I set the scene in the late twenties because things are looking up for the United States uh, as a whole, and then something happens, and kind of the entire country goes into a downturn, which so set the, the Great Depression. Yes, sir. <laughs> Good job. A plus, which kind of set the scene for the events of this story to unfold. I don't think that this individual could have done what he did had the world not just gone crazy for a little bit, at least in the United States. Interesting. So, you know, you gave me a little bit about the era where it takes place. I decided to go with era this time because this era is uh, uber interesting. Mm -hmm. Um takes place during uh the prohibition era yeah which i mean now that you've given me like exact dates we're probably a little after prohibition at least yeah, for some of these killings or when they start or i don't know we'll, we'll find out when you tell us but anyway it's close enough we're gonna go with prohibition drinks that were popular during the prohibition which is funny because you think <laughs> oh yeah yeah uh, make all drinks illegal, uh, all liquors illegal, all um, libations illegal, and yeah, yeah, nobody's gonna drink, right? It's like wrong. It's like you're making a political statement right there. <laughs> wrong. Um, there was a lot of drinking being done. A lot of drinking. <laughs> there was a lot of uh, very popular drinks, and actually, some drinks came from this time too. You know, getting creative with what you had, because I think a lot of it was um liquors you know like it, it's a little easier to distill liquors than it is yeah. um some of these others and uh, so yeah you know i'm sure they had to get creative i went we're going to change it up a little bit i went with two different 
drinks. So midway or whenever we want to have the second, um, we'll obviously pause and then, you know, I'll, I'll introduce that second one. It'll probably be at a really convenient time, like right in the middle of a really heinous description. And we'll be like, so drink number two. (laughs) So I need a drink. (laughs) Um, so the first one we're going to go with, it is called the bee's knees. Oh, which <laughs> I love very that colloquial phrase. America, yes. circa I, the 1920s and 30s, I think. I think it's the best phrase that came from there. Um, I, I think we should bring it back. <laughs> like, <laughs> Challenge and, accepted. Yeah. yeah. Instead of saying cool, that's cool. That's the bee's say, knees. That's the bee's knees. I mean, it's such a better description. Um doesn't make a lot of sense because you're picturing knees on bees right now every single person who's like does that make sense is it a good description do bees have knees does anybody actually like know what a bee's knee looks like off the top of their head we've all seen it they have them kind of i don't know i mean they got a joint it like you know their little legs you look a lot closer at bees than i ever look at bees (laughs) I would say spiders have knees. I think I they're think they're, for their legs. Their legs are jointed. I don't. And but now that you said spider, I don't know if spiders have knees, <laughs> or is it just like one long string? What podcast are we doing? <laughs> uh, anyway, that was uh, uh, already tangenting and um, great start already. This, to this is what one. you get when Jason is a few drinks in. <laughs> I can't even introduce with. No more hanging out with your friends going. before we have to record. Yeah, probably a good idea. <laughs> or. It'll be really fun. We'll see. We should have more. Um, so we will see. Bees knees. Uh, both are drinks. Knees. They're based off of a gin. That's why on our picture. Gin is very gin. that era. I feel. I do too. Um, it's a weird drink. Tastes like licking uh, a tree. Licking a tree. Yeah, like all these evergreens over here in the mountains. I'm just, just gonna go lick one. <laughs> yeah, just look good enough just to liquefy lick. one of those, and that's what gin is. You have to explain it because I almost just took a drink. Oh, I almost got gotcha. you. <laughs> I'm trying to. Um, so it's gin. Gin. Honey. Honey. Which our honey comes from a friend of ours. One of my favorite people. She also listens. And Patty. What? And Eddie, according to the label on their honey jar. Patty and Eddie. The queen bee herself, the bee's knees herself, has her own hive. And she collected it and she gave it to us. And our children left her honey and her jam. Yeah, we we got this not too long ago and it's pretty much gone. Yeah. (laughs) We were lucky to squeeze some out for these children. Our son eats it by the spoonful. So... Which is supposed to be healthy to have These are honey well from loved the bees. state you come from. That means it contains yeah. like the pollination, the pollutants of the yeah. air, and it helps with. Um, anyway, thank you so much for the honey. Yeah. Keep um, it coming. And Patty. then there's one other we ingredient. We love your jarred goods. It's lemon juice, oh. fresh lemon juice. What it calls for, and that's what we used. It sounds very like fresh, like yeah, bright. Yeah, and, and going into fall, I feel like it's not quite the fall drink it's no. definitely a summer drink or spring mm-hmm. spring drink um but we'll make it do colorado has been ridiculously yeah. warm honestly this was the only one i was gonna do because it was so easy <laughs> <laughs> i like easy uh but the other one yeah, we're gonna do it's <laughs> uh yeah i do all right um the other one we're going you'll you'll see because of the name is freaking amazing the, it's very light the bee's knees cheers cheers
ice cream. Oh, that is really good. Home, holy yeah. smokes! Kind of like if oh if my you goodness. were to like find a flower that smelled like this, I'd imagine it would taste like like it's tastes like a flower, but not in a bad way. It literally has taken the gin flavor that is just like harsh and t- like tamed it. Yeah, that honey cuts right through it. To where the, I would suck on this lozenge. It is like almost has a flavor of like a cough lozenge, but it's completely lovely. It does. Like, uh, almost a Ricola. Yeah. But but not. not like, you know, a it's a beverage. Drop. It's not a medicine. It is really delicious. It's the candy form of Ricola. This is probably the favorite drink so far. Really? That we've had on this podcast. Wow, wow, wow. It's at, really lovely. So would you dare say it's the bee's knees? It literally is the bee's knees. It's oh every right, bee's right, knees right, I've right. ever even seen. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> Matthew McConaughey has just joined us. <laughs> oh, it's, I think it's quite tasty. I do too. I recommend. I like it a lot. It, it's going to be hard to just sip on. I need to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you do. Oh, I scraped it across the. It sounded like a whoop, whoop, whoop. <laughs> All right. Uh, but wait, um, I did want to just add a little education on my side. Okay. For those that didn't know, teach me. Um, prohibition went from 1919 to 1932. Okay. So, over a decade of alcohol being illegal, which is insane to me. I, I just alcohol being illegal is insane yeah how did they do that uh you think things are bad now with politicians (laughs) they had politicians actually decide to make alcohol illegal across the united states makes no sense yeah we could go into like all the results or the ramifications of a government deciding to make a substance illegal and what kind of like counterculture that created oh yeah, and then you could go into the next things that make illegal and the countercultures that start from uh-huh. it. And anyway, <laughs> any which way. This isn't a political podcast, so <laughs> we won't go into that. But nope. it is perfectly paired with, we could do perfectly paired with politics. We could, <laughs> if we wanted to. But I will say a podcast about a story that comes after prohibition is absolutely perfectly paired with a drink that is made with a liquor that was very common during prohibition. Mm was perfectly paired with Love it. so during the 1920s cleveland ohio could be described as a happening place women in flapper dresses danced the charleston as new types of music flowed from the instruments of live bands while young men in full tuxedo dress stood by smoking cigarettes and making business deals literally an entire young generation just living life to the fullest as they celebrated the end of the First World War. The population in this American city was on the rise, due in large part to an influx of immigrants who added not only to the developing and vibrant culture, but the labor market as well. The local economy, which was based on manufacturing, was experiencing a boom, which definitely benefited the many millionaires who called Cleveland home. Every night, going home to the safety of their grand mansions, which dotted the city. 
The terminal tower was one of the many skyscrapers erected during this time, changing the skyline of the growing city, just as the establishment of many cultural centers like the Playhouse Square changed the social scene. In Cleveland, like many places in post-World War America, it was the jazz age, and it was glorious. It sounds like um, uh, that book, um, Great Gatsby. I think this is a little before. A little before? Is Maybe Great Gatsby not. is more, is that more Great Depression? No, then, actually, or? I think you might be right. It's my favorite book in the whole wide world, so it's making me sad that I don't know if it's I, after World War One. It's like picturing. No, it's after World War One. A hundred percent. That's yeah, this, when I read that. this time period. Right. Yep. However, Cleveland's prosperous trajectory came to a crashing halt when in 1929, the Great Depression hit the United States, affecting Cleveland in a particularly hard way. Where once opportunity and promise could be found throughout the city, sadness and darkness abounded as workless individuals gravitated to certain areas within the city with the simple hope of survival. It was in one such setting that a serial killer, technically unknown to this day, hunted, decapitated, and dismembered at least 12 victims, a majority of whom have never been identified. This is the story of the Mad Butcher of Kingsbury Run. Oh, that's such a good name. I know. (laughs) I didn't give it to him. Somebody else did. (laughs) I should not cough into the microphone. Sorry. Um, Man. All right. So 12 victims, at least. Most of them unidentified. Correct. Nobody cared to be like, hey, this person's missing. It was a transient community. Oh, man. Um, So were they mostly prostitutes or... I guess you're going to have to find out, along with everybody else. (sighs) (laughs) Kingsbury Run, which was also referred to at the time as the Hobo Jungle, was a destination for those individuals who found themselves out of work and with no place to call home. Kingsbury Run, located near Lake Erie, was a shanty town set upon a riverbed that ran along the Cuyahoga River. To the east of the run was the Roaring Third Police Precinct. The Roaring Third was home to bars, brothels, gambling dens, and cheap hotels, referred to as flop houses. Is Roaring Third the name of the city? It's a police precinct. That's such a cool police precinct name. Sounds like a cool place. Go to a bar, hit up a brothel, lose your shirt at a gambling den. And then sleep it off in a flop house. That's what happened to America. <laughs> I'll tell you what happened. The mad butcher happened. <laughs> it was. <laughs> this isn't a good idea to have so much uh, freedom. <laughs> People like... kill. <laughs> you know, like one serial killer ruined it all. Ruins it all. It all. Come if on. we could all just live in this like Jeez. debauchery without somebody ruining it for the rest of us. Jeez, mad butcher. I mean, at least like Sodom and Gomorrah took like thousands and thousands of people to ruin it. it no, nope, just, just the person. mad butcher. <laughs> it was here in Kingsbury Run in September of 1934 that a young man walking along the shore of Lake Erie is going to discover the remains of a woman in her mid 30s. 
the remains discovered were not whole or intact. Instead, her torso, along with the upper portion of her thighs, which were still attached to the trunk, were found laying on the shore. Her lower legs had been intentionally amputated at the knee. These limited remains were examined by Cuyahoga County Coroner A.J. Pierce. He noted that the skin of the victim had been treated with some sort of chemical preservative, which left the skin red, tough, and leathery. Ooh. Leathery. Mm-hmm. Did anything say, like, what this... What the... Um, preservative was no. used for? No. Oh, I wonder if it's like to make cow hides or something. Maybe. I don't know. Some skin, some human skin hides. Some bl- human skin lamps. I just, it's like the opposite of Wild Bill or whatever yeah. in the Silence of yeah. the Lambs. Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> you don't put the skin on the lotion. <laughs> <laughs> you don't put the lotion on the skin. <laughs> Oh, I was so excited for that, and then I ruined oh, it. Oh, you were so close. Uh, so, well, well, we'll still give it to you. We Half don't re- a point. We don't redo things on this podcast. No, never. Never. <laughs> <laughs> Over the course of the investigation, a few other body parts belonging to this female victim would be found, but her head was never among the body parts recovered. This victim would be dubbed the Lady of the Lake, and her true identity was never, ever discovered. Oh, I bet you there's some, like, haunting tales of the Lady of the Lake. Oh, I'm sure. Like, Any that's why sort she got of mist on Lake Erie yeah. comes from the Lady of the Lake, yeah. I guarantee it. Oh, yeah. Cool. It would be two more years before the Lady of the Lake would be officially considered one of the Mad Butcher's victims. Because of this, in addition to the moniker Lady of the Lake... This woman would also be known as Victim Zero. Oh, that'd be an awesome movie name. Both her names are amazing. Yeah. Both. They knocked it out of the park with her. She doesn't know her real name, but she's <laughs> got two great code names. <laughs> yeah, she'd be dead by now anyway, so. Then, yes. <laughs> we, could, we could talk ill. <laughs> then, in September of 1935 which is a full year after the remains of the Lady of the Lake were discovered, a decapitated corpse belonging to a white male was discovered by two teenage boys at the base of Jackass Hill. Old Donkey Hill? That's what it was called. I can't even imagine a world in which you could like be like, this, this over here is Jackass Hill. <laughs> but it was located where 49th Street dead ends into the Kingsbury run. In addition to being decapitated, this victim had been emasculated. He just emasculated? Mm-hmm. His pee pee was cut off? Yes. <laughs> yes. On Johnny Knoxville Dr. Hill? Jason. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. Oh, man. The Yikes. Re- <laughs> Yeeks. So we got a female and a male. The mm-hmm. male pretty much made into a female correct yeah right the remains were naked but for one sock it was noticeably clean or the remains were noticeably clean and the remains had also been drained of blood it was noted that there were clear signs of rope burns on each of the victim's wrists oh drain like 
piece of meat from a butcher. Yeah, a mad butcher. A real mad and butcher. Rope rope burns on the wrist, so kind of hung mm-hmm. from his hands. Now, the cause of death of the mad butcher's first official victim was determined to be decapitation. So the victim was alive until decapitated, which to me, Oof. I feel like decapitation usually happens after as like a necessity. Like I can't fit your body into my luggage. Or, so I have or to identity back yep. then. Yep. And using fingerprints, these remains were identified. Edward Andrasi was a 28-year-old male who lived in the Roaring Third. They had fingerprints back then? I, or they had I, a database <laughs> they could check? I, I have no idea. That's... Uh, okay. But... We'll trust the sources. <laughs> <laughs> he was identified as a man who lived in the Roaring Third, which remembers that precinct that buds up against the um, run. Okay, yeah. The investigation revealed that Edward had left his home on Thursday evening and that he had been murdered the following night. Despite searching, the police could not find anyone that had spoken to or even seen Edward after he left his home. While searching in the vicinity of where Andrasi's remains were found for more clues, obviously regarding his murder, police discovered a second body. This body had also been emasculated. Let me guess. Head's missing? Yes, as well as another important body part for men. um, Head head missing as the last thing. (laughs) So he got his pee-pee chopped off before he was dead, too. (laughs) I will get to that. It was observed that this set of remains had been treated with the same chemicals as the Lady of the Lake, right? Which is also victim zero. This victim was never identified, but was determined to be a 40-year-old white male who actually had been dead for a few weeks at the time his body was discovered. Despite having the idea of Andrasi, police could not make any connections to anyone who could reasonably be the second unidentified body discovered close to Andrasi's remains. What? Oh, so uh, and more you like said a dumping ground, right? Yeah. And is this so? How many? How, how far after the first victim or the second victim being found is this? They, they were found right. Like oh. within days of each other, and then but he victim would, zero victim was like two or three. Oh, a year okay. before, but the older male would have been killed prior yeah, to Andrasi. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Over a year later, in January of 1936, the body parts of a woman were discovered. These body parts were neatly wrapped in newspaper, and then safely nestled inside of a half bushel basket. A uh, bushel basket. Do you want to take a guess what a bushel basket is? It's not like it, it's you basically collect... the bee's knees. <laughs> That's what it is for sure. I, I want to say it's either like a, a picnic basket or it's like a basket you collect fruit in. Ding, ding, ding. A bushel of apples, right? So ah. bushel baskets are those circular, large, like woven wood oh. baskets that you yeah. collect apples in. Yeah. Now, they don't have like any handles on them or anything. I think they do. Tiny little or, metal yeah, ones. Yeah, made little on the metal side. ones. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely 
not what I'd want to be carrying a body around in. Yeah, that's what? not what I would choose. I, I would not carry a body in a bushel basket. I would also not put a body in a bushel basket. Like two separate ideas. I don't understand why the Mad Butcher did this at all. I'm sure they only had so many baskets to choose from back then. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I need a big basket. During Depression, I don't know where there's he gets a, a, bushel a bushel basket. basket in Cleveland, I feel like if they would have just followed the bushel basket, they probably could have found this guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's no or like apple orchards. I'm sure there is. In Kingsbury Run, he's the only guy walking down the shantytown road carrying a basket of apples. Yeah, but what's around there? It's all farms. Is that geography yeah. master? <laughs> Should we look it up? No, I've, I've met people from <laughs> Cleveland. <laughs> all right, and at that whole, the whole Midwest, to. like outside of the big cities, it's all it's all farmland. All right, I'm gonna acquiesce to you. Now, this body part filled basket was left abandoned alongside the Hart Manufacturing Building. Now, despite a tireless search on the internet, I could not determine what the Hart Building actually manufactured. Just a manufacturing building. Hearts. Spelled H-A-R-T. <laughs> now, the remaining body parts connected to this victim were located in a nearby lot 10 days after the discovery of the basket. But alas, her head would never be located. Jeez, and 10 days after. So either they were there for 10 days or our mad butcher return 10 days later to deposit them mm. all these questions will never be answered i wonder what that those body parts kind of look <laughs> pretty shrunken at that point i i can't i wouldn't even know what they're supposed to look like <laughs> <laughs> so uh, sorry I'm now the cause of death of imagine. victim number three right which is actually his the Mad Butcher's fourth victim, because we have victim zero, right. was determined to be decapitation. But this time, the killer had waited for rigor mortis to completely set in before he disarticulated the body, which disarticulation is where you separate two bones where they connect at a joint, which clearly is what he's been doing to his victim's remains. But this time he waited for the body to be completely stiff and hard before chopping it up. Oh, wow. So they could probably tell that because like whatever part of the other part is still on there since you're chopping off at The amount of blood? Joints. I don't know. Well, I would think like if there's... You know, chop a little above the elbow or something. Like, it's a certain way. <laughs> it's stuck. <laughs> I'm well, assuming it's in 1930-something their science was sound, although it could just... I'm sure it's stiffness. Like, <laughs> it has to be so... Yeah, I, don't know, I don't know. Like, uh, Well, I don't know. I wonder if bodies go into rigor mortis if you chop them up before they go into rigor oh, mortis. interesting. Just like a tiny little femur in rigor mortis. I don't yeah, know. Maybe so they don't. If you chop an, uh, at the oh, elbow off before rigor mortis, if this. you picked up that part of the arm, it'd still be kind of floppy. Right. I wonder if it has to be connected for it to actually Yeah, like harden. the whole body has to like send it into that. Fascinating. Those are really good questions we're not going to answer. No, and we'll forget to look them up, so we'll never yeah. know. We'll probably mention it again. 
like 10 episodes and it will be the bee's knees (laughs) (laughs) now the investigators were able to positively identify these remains as florence flo polio flo was a waitress and a barmaid who lived on the edge of the roaring third she had been arrested a few times for prostitution but was described by many as friendly and kind that was however until she drank too much (laughs) <laughs> Which, unfortunately, was a fairly common occurrence with Flo. Oh, Flo. Which... I can't believe that's a real name. You can expect, considering Flo generally surrounded herself with <laughs> pimps, bootleggers, drug addicts, and madams. <laughs> which I call a heck of a Friday night. <laughs> heck, yeah. That's a, that's a good circle of friends there. <laughs> oh, Flo. Where did your life go wrong? <laughs> You are who you, know, you hang out with, I guess. <laughs> my dad used to say, bad friends bring bad luck. Flo. Flo. You were really asking Jeez. for it. Then right, so Flo... Um, is identified. Is identified. Any idea how? Was it her fingerprints? I have no DNA. idea. So I think what is really interesting is several of my sources talked about like referencing missing persons. And for the most part, they just didn't have missing persons reports that they could like connect with these bodies found. I'm assuming somebody noticed Flo was gone. She's a waitress. She's a barmaid. She lives in the Roaring Third. Somebody would have noticed and and perhaps they connected. Yeah. And busted for prostitution a number of times. The cops Um, knew her. There was a lot of people that knew <laughs> lots of people knew flow what, what what her little <laughs> markings were oh flow on her body yeah 100 percent. like oh yeah but yeah. Oh, oh, that at, was definitely flow at least she it got that her identified her yeah yeah now in june of 1936 two young boys found the head of a white male that had been wrapped in a pair of trousers discarded underneath the East 55th Street Bridge. The next day, the body belonging to the head was located lying near a police building. These remains were clean and just like one of the previous victims, had also been drained of blood. Despite having fingerprints plus several distinctive tattoos, this victim would never be identified. And if I'm remembering correctly, authorities literally created this entire like, um, like when you go to a museum, what do you call the things you look at? Like a whole setup at like a world's fair to try to identify this body because of the distinctive tattoos and like sculptures of what his face should look like. Nothing. Really? He never was identified. What? Well, like maybe a passer exhibit. I, Gosh. I almost couldn't even like answer knees. the rest of the question because I was so word. stuck on that word. Um, which you would think maybe that's just, it's got to be an out-of-towner He's a passing transient, through. just trying to or, find a place to live, or, a yeah, place to work. Yeah. Yeah, that, especially with the tattoos. I mean, I can't imagine Distinct, tattoos were like, like soup. six tattoos in and the 30s. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody knows that guy. <laughs> well, you know. clearly nobody knew this guy except for the mad butcher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it probably picked him on for a reason. It's crazy. I, like so many things are different between these victims so far, but also a lot kind of the same. Like I could 
really see where they're like, this has to be the same type of killer. It makes you think that he wasn't picking based on like gender or ethnicity. We're going to talk about a different ethnicity in a minute. He was picking based on the likelihood that that victim would be missed. Mm -hmm. And I think he's also makes me sad. He's probably also like, I don't want to be caught. So um, I'm going to do these all a little different. Yeah. I'm not going to have a certain His MO tell. is that he has no MO. <laughs> except decapitation. Except, yeah. <laughs> Which is very but, particular. But back then, it kind of makes more sense for a serial killer because it's the, the identification is gone. Which I think leads to, lends to your theory of um, uh, he just doesn't want to be caught. Like yeah. he's, he's picking a certain type of victim. Yeah. Now, a about a month later, a teenage girl stumbled upon another set of decapitated remains. These belonged to a 20-year-old white male, and they were found in the woods near Clifton Road and Big Creek. This victim had been dead for roughly two months. The head of this victim and a pile of bloody clothes were found nearby, and investigators felt confident that this victim had been killed where the body was discovered due to the amount of blood that had seeped into the ground. Yet again, this victim was never ID'd. I'm also super curious about how the mad butcher stripped off all his bloody clothes and then just walked home naked. And (laughs) nobody knew. Like, did he have a change of clothes? Did he walk home at night? Was it common for a naked individual (laughs) just to be walking through Kingsbury Run? With Maybe like a startled look on his face, a little blood smear on his cheek. And I don't know. People that look at him, they're just like, ah, I'm not going to fuck with that guy. No, he's, uh, <laughs> he's naked. And clearly he out of his a, mind. A hatchet in his hand. But you would think somebody would come forth and hatchet after. The hatchet is alleged. I made and, that up. <laughs> to want to um, be sued. By the butcher. I, I just find it no, curious. Um, Bloody clothes, and they can't match it to if, even like a profession. If I that were the a detective had. at the time, I would think that that would um, give me a clue to what time of, that crime took place. Yeah. It was very, very late at night. And I mean, you go to a smaller town now, I mean, even some bigger cities, it's there's just not a lot of people out. You know, know, like Silverton, Colorado. In some places, there's no one out. No one. You can kind of get away with whatever you want. But it also makes you curious. So, if this victim was killed in the woods due to the amount of blood that was in the ground, where are these other people being murdered that their bodies have enough time to drain? Is he just killing them in the woods and then transporting their bodies to these other locations? And it's just like the exsanguination into the ground. Uh, that's draining the body or is he hanging them? There's well, so many questions. My my first thought, and I don't want to jump the gun and throw out a theory that's going to end up being wrong, but okay. is he is like some sort of butcher. A butcher shop. A butcher shop. Like Interesting. The blood is already there. He's got everything he needs. All excuses of why it's messy. This torso belongs to a pig. I know it has two nipples like a man, but it actually is a pig's torso. <laughs> Go Move ahead. it along. <laughs> DNA test it. Oh, Who you wants? can't? Bummer. Wait, you don't know what DNA is? There's no head, so you can't identify it. <laughs> See? This is stuff that I picture in my head when these stories are unfolding. Like, how does somebody get away with this? That's all I'm picturing when you tell me these I stories. Know. Like, but Jason... How? 
the bodies Why? just keep coming. So in September of the same year. What's our tick at right now? Like you, five? I told you to count. Oh, wait, you shouldn't count on that. You need to drink your drink too. Thank you. In September of the same year, a man had the misfortune of tripping over the upper half of a man's torso as he tried to hop a train at <laughs> East 37th Street in Kingsbury Run, which is just like lovely. Uh, Fabulous. Hop that train and then you trip over a man's torso. It sucks tripping over anything ever. <laughs> just imagine <laughs> a man's torso. You're all pissed off like, what the fuck? And you look back and... It's a dude's tour. You, you probably don't even know. A, it. Like, you're like, what? What a, is you that? You can't afford the train oh, ticket, so you're forced to run so for it. So you're just like, talk yourself you're up, and you're like, timing I have it. to get on this train. <laughs> so you're like taking breaths, you're doing stretches, and you're like, one, two, three. And then you take <laughs> off towards Now's the open moment. door, and then you trip on something, and you're like, what the heck? And you turn around, and it's a man's torso. Oh, what that. a day. What That's a got some day in the 1930s. It's right ridiculous. There. So he trips over the torso. Just wait. This Obviously misses his train. This is my favorite victim ever. And I will tell you why. So the man trying to hop onto a train illegally trips over a torso. Calls the police. Did the right thing. Police wind up searching a nearby pool. Which actually turned out to just be an open sewer. And it was here that they found the lower torso of the man, plus parts of both of the victim's legs. I'm having a hard time picture, okay, picturing just this Okay, just pause. Man trips over a torso trying to get on a train. Yep. They search a nearby pool, which is actually just an open sewer. Six... Open... This that's where I'm 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 lost at. Just that's where fecal matter and urine drain. Yeah. I'm assuming. Doesn't that drain into some like it's a, like a pond? Like well, that's this pool. Now <laughs> six hundred people. Only in Cleveland. Six hundred people showed up to watch as a diver was set to retrieve the body parts from this open sewer. So I'm assuming it was a slow work day in Cleveland. What? Or none of them worked. I have so many questions. I don't even know which one to go with. I promise it's a true story. I didn't make it up. I think my first question is, what's a diver wear when going into I can only picture those potty? giant iron helmets. Like from, have... uh, what is it, Men of Honor? Like, remember that dive? Movie with uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, you've never. No, I'm picturing. I, I think I'm getting the name wrong. I don't know if it is Men of Man Honor. in the Iron Mask. No, Men of Honor. <laughs> There's a Cuba Gooding Jr. No, movie where what he's a diver. About. What? I don't know. And oh, I it's just like picture... the best movie to actually like find out about this suit that you're talking about. No, I picture one of those like giant scuba metal masks Ooh. that have glass and like the yeah, like Cuba Gooding Jr. And wore. then it's like a tube. And then yeah. somebody just is on the outside blowing into it. Damn it. Is that I got to look it up. Yeah. What do you see? <laughs> A bunch of poop. <laughs> Any body parts? Maybe. Like that well, is what I picture. Oh, I feel something hard. <laughs> nope, nope. More poop. 
I can't even. And then 600 people. It's like grandma, grandpa, mom, dad, Sally, and Bobby all in their like Sunday best watching this diver swim in a sewer. Eating the sandwiches they made. Which are like half a sandwich because it's the Great Depression. And that's sad. And they're watching some guy breaststroke through a sewer. (laughs) Now, the cause of death of this victim, who is determined to be in her late 20s, was once again, can you guess it? Decapitation. Decapitation. Yeah, that movie was called Men of Honor. Okay. I've never seen it. It was sort of at this point in these theories of heinous events... Um, that police and public began to put things together and more attention was paid to the modes employed in the killings as a source of evidence. So at this time, are they connecting all of them? Or I'm assuming it's like... They're kind of like maybe... Maybe. And now 600 people are paying attention and they're like, something weird is going on. Now, there were no hesitation marks on the bodies suggesting that the murderer was comfortable and skilled in terms of anatomy. By the fall of 1936, the local media was in a full-blown frenzy regarding the existence of a serial killer. It was then that the nickname, The Mad Butcher, was assigned to the perpetrator of these killings. Perfect. Perfect naming. Mad Butcher. The Mad Butcher. That is an awesome serial killer name. hmm Man. Yep. How have I not heard of him? Um... I am going to say this, though. We were going to stop at an opportune point. I think we need to because I'm guessing we are past half mark right now. Um, let you... me see my page number. We're exactly at half. Oh, there we go. So, um, you so are... I need to finish my bevy. We're going to play you a little bit of an ad from some of our favorite people, and we'll be back with the second 1930s-inspired prohibition beverage that if you liked the, bee, the bee's knees, you're absolutely going to love the next beverage choice. Indeed. Listen for the... <laughs> Just play the real one. This episode of the Perfectly Paired With podcast is brought to you by Jason Owen of The Impact Group. You'll be hard-pressed to find a better real estate agent than Jason Owen. If you live in the Denver metro area, be sure to contact him and ask him about the special savings you could receive as a first responder or a teacher. He is out there trying to help those that help us. Contact Jason Owen at the link in the description of this podcast and ask about those savings. That's Jason Owen of the Impact Group, a division of Your Castle Real Estate. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> Matthew McConaughey is back. I am. And I'm back with a second pairing. Is it the bee's knees? It is not the bee's knees, but it is definitely part of the bee. Maybe the elbow. I don't know. <laughs> Antenna. What's it called? It's called Corpse. Reviver. Oh, it brings the dead back to life. It does, just like this podcast. If we were sucking really bad before, we're about to revive it. Sucking before? I don't even It probably wasn't. I think we're great. But I think I need to do it a little different. Like, Corpse Reviver. That's pretty good. Yeah, that was pretty good. It brings me back to our 
wrestling episode. Yeah, that's what I was. <laughs> I mean, it, <laughs> what's in it? It kind of has a, a name. Um, it's Jen Cointreau. Lilith Blonde. What was that one? Cointreau. I don't know what you're saying. Um, and uh, lemon juice. And then we don't have one ingredient for this guy. Put the magazine out there. For I you. got it. Um, it, it, it is absent. That yeah, one nobody's which kissing probably the green fairy tonight. Changes this a lot. And it's only a dash of it, but it's still a dash of black licorice taste. Um, t- I think it's delicious. Well, just to give you a, a little bit about it, um, it's interesting because this one, um, you could find this drink as far back as 1860s. Same time as Foster's. 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 Yeah, I still haven't gotten that Australian accent down. Um, but it was actually revived in the Prohibition era. Wow. Because of a handbook that came out called uh, Savoy Cocktail Handbook. Okay. Wow. So now, we got a good good tale to per- pair Let's this bring it back with. to life. Let's bring it back to let's life. Let's bring it. Let's revive this corpse. So, beyond just the gruesomeness of each slang, people in Cleveland and the state of Ohio as a whole were very interested in the story, where despite having a significant number of victims, there were literally no real pieces of evidence or any suspects to be named. In response to the rise in attention being received by the string of decapitations, Mayor Harold Burton appointed a man named Elliot Ness as Cleveland's safety director. Elliot Ness Ness was a former prohibition agent, and he was the leader of a group called the Untouchables. Among his credentials, proving that Elliot Ness would be up for the job of tracking down the Mad Butcher was the fact that Ness played a significant role in taking down none other than Al Capone in Chicago. Damn, that's uh, that's impressive. Everything about him sounds really cool, except the Prohibition, what do you call him? Prohibition? Uh, agent? Agent. That dude has a stick up his ass. <laughs> he's doing, going around ruining everybody's he's fun. He's a legit good guy. Uh, yeah. The government told me to do it, so I'm going to do it. He's fighting the wrongs in the world, Jace. Anyway, Al Capone did some horrible things, so. Yeah, he did. I got him there. I hope he gets a serial killer, too. Wow. But all those people that he stopped from drinking. Now, right around the same time, local authorities hosted what the newspapers dubbed to be the Torso Clinic. It was there that members of the police, the coroner, and other experts got together in an effort to profile the killer that was seemingly hunting undetected along Kingsbury Run. Why did they call it a clinic? Was it like, did they have the torsos out? Was I have no idea. Like a museum? <laughs> Just a group of people exi- trying to better themselves. Expedition <laughs> of torsos out I have out no for idea. Everybody. That's what they called it, the torso clinic. Where are you going this weekend? Torso clinic, you? I tried to get into the torso clinic, I but I invited. didn't get in. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're just trying to solve some crimes, Jace. Give them a break. Now, uh, as a cut. result, 
of the Torso Clinic, Detective Peter Marilow and Martin Zyluski were appointed to work the Mad Butcher case full-time. Completely dedicated to their job and obviously to justice for the victims, this duo would routinely dress up in order to fit in amongst those who dwelt in the seedy underbelly of the run. Between the two of them, they interviewed more than 1,500 people. The Cleveland Police Department would wind up interviewing almost 5,000 people in their effort to track down the Mad Butcher. How much time is how much time did they do that in? You said it was like a year. No. I thought you gave us a date. I'm assuming it's from the beginning. So uh, not total victim zero. Not from the victim. torso clinic till now. No. Okay. In total. Or since Ness got in till now. That's yep. what I'm But wondering. we're not done. That's a lot of people. You think yes. they'd get an idea. You well, I Especially think they're starting then. to get an idea. Okay. So just hang tight. From February to July of nineteen thirty seven Three more bodies were discovered. First, the upper half of a woman's torso washed up on shore east of Rottenhall. The lower part of this victim's torso would wash up three months later. Unlike the other victims, the cause of death of this woman was not decapitation, although she would be decapitated. Her decapitation happened post-mortem. This victim, a woman in her mid-20s, too, would never, ever be identified. So. She's a badass. Yeah. Right? Yeah, because. Homeboy tried to cut her head off, and she was like, not today, Mad Butcher. You're going to have to work for this. So you're saying it. Decapitation happened, and then everything else after uh, on yep. her body happened after. And what I'm saying is, is every other victim yeah. died. They were alive. He cut their heads Jeez, off. I'm just this now realizing like, no, with not that, gonna happen. The limbs and stuff being chopped off. <sighs> people were alive. No, no, I think they were decapitated, and then immediately dismembered. Until we had the victim that he waited for Riga Mortis to set in. Oh, which to me says he was like almost scientific. Mm. He was like, I'm going to cut your head off. I'm going to like disarticulate your body. And then he was like, what yeah. if I just wait? See it's what either scientific or medical. That's you said he was a butcher. Now, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we're on to the second body discovered between February to July of 1937. A skull was discovered by a teenage boy underneath a bridge. The skeletal remains of a smaller black woman were discovered in a burlap sack next to the skull. The victim would be unofficially identified as Rose Wallace using dental records. However, this identification led to nothing in terms of the investigation. Ooh, so no... Ideas Nothing. Of what individual could was, have wanted to hurt Rose doing. Wallace? That's what I, I'm just now kind of thinking about. Like we don't have any idea of like what these people were doing. No. None. None. Weird. Yeah. In July of that year, Cleveland would experience some labor problems in the flats, which I'm sure was common across the United States during the Great Depression. 
The flats were shanty homes located on the run. The National Guard would be called in to help maintain order. One night, a young guardsman who was standing watch at the West 3rd Street Bridge would see the first piece of victim number nine floating in the wake of a passing tugboat in the Cuyahoga River. The rest of the body would be retrieved from the Cuyahoga River. Everything that was except... The head. Where are these heads, Jace? On a dude's they've mantle nev- somewhere. <laughs> they've never been found. Entire skulls. Like, it's Halloween in Colorado, as it, it is across like the United somebody's States. house. We have fake skulls all over our house right now. They're not teeny. They're not small. Where are these freaking heads? Someone's going to buy this house in Cleveland that this guy lived at, and they're going to be like, hey, we're going to scrape it and build, build a new one. Wow. And as they're building or they're digging for the new foundation, they're going to find, what did you say, 12? They're going to find 12. Well, some of the heads were found. Good old heads. So maybe oh. like eight. Let's say 12 because we don't know of other right. victims. But so, here's the deal. But this one throws me off. Do you know or do I need to look up? Use my 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 lookup skills. What's the Chattanooga River? I swear in my life, it's Cuyahoga. Cuyahoga. <laughs> Cuyahoga. Yeah, I, it's like, you this, don't listen. I try. I do. So Cuyahoga. How do you spell that? C U I. Did you look it up? Can you tell me facts on Cuyahoga? It's literally the riverbed. So out of Lake Erie flows the Cuyahoga. Oh. It's the riverbed where Kingsbury Run has a shanty town. Anyway, can I tell you that the missing head is like one of many problems for victim number nine? Because the abdomen of victim number nine had been gutted and the heart had been ripped out. It's new things. Yeah, this unidentified male victim was in his mid to late 30s at the time of his death. And we aren't done. Jeez. In April of 1938, what first appeared to be a dead fish resting on the banks of the Cuyahoga River actually turned out to be the lower half of a woman's leg. So you know how they're always like, it's not a mannequin. Guess what? It's not a dead fish. Two burlap sacks would be pulled out of the river one month later. Inside these bags, investigators found the torso and most of the rest of the victim's legs. Poor guy. It's just like, ah, oh, a sack of potatoes. Nope. <laughs> Not a sack of potatoes. Um, yeah, Cuyahoga River is a big river. Well. It, kind of like, you said it is out of Lake Erie. I don't know. I think it starts. Yeah, this map is weird. Anyway, it is a big. R- I just wanted to get an idea. Like, it's fine. Like waves of the Cuyahoga River. Look it up. Is this, you know, Mississippi, where it's gigantic at certain no, points. It's not that big, but. But that's new. Like, we, I mean, we got a lot of new things, like the the river, mm-hmm. trying to hide a body in the river. Lots of bodies. Um, disemboweling, taking the heart. Now. When the coroner tested the remains of this victim, it would be the first time that drugs were identified in the victim's system. 
but without the victim's arms, the coroner could not make any conclusions as to whether or not the drugs were used to sedate the victim or had the victim been a drug addict. In August of that year, gosh, this guy, a suspicious old quilt was spotted in a dump site. Within that quilt was a double-breasted blue blazer wrapped around the torso of a woman, wrapped in butcher paper, placed in a makeshift box nearby, investigators discovered the legs and arms of the same victim. The perpetrator had used rubber bands to secure the butcher paper around the appendages. Also wrapped in a like manner was the head of the victim. Jeez. All right, so we got a head finally. Oh, this isn't the first head. I think it's like the second. Oh. But he's wrapping it in just weird freaking stuff. A jacket for a female. Oh, that's right. And then let's wrap butcher paper around everything and else. It's just like... The butcher paper... This late using butcher paper, it's almost well, like he's, he's feeding off... Well, he's a butcher. Yeah, he's feeding off the name given to him. So maybe he's not a butcher. Um... But the the sights are so strange. It, I don't know. It almost seems like it's not the same person, but it does seem like the same person. Or he's insane. Yeah. Or what anyway. If, what if there's a group? Well, the coroner, a man, Coroner Gerber, stated that he believed that some of these body parts had actually been refrigerated. A second body was actually discovered just a few yards from the strange collection of oddly wrapped remains. As it would turn out, both of these victims could have been seen from the window of none other than security officer Elliot Ness. What? So he's just playing with this detective? Yeah, it was about this time that Elliot Ness had had enough. Could you imagine helping take down one of the most prolific gangsters of all time? And this mad butcher was making a mockery of you, leaving bodies for you in direct line of sight from your window? That's fucked up. Well, on <laughs> like August... For Ness. Um, He's going to strike. Wow. Yeah. Uh, that'll, uh, that'll get a detective to yes. do some overtime work. <laughs> <laughs> On August 18th, Elliot Ness, along with 35 police officers and other detectives, raided the homeless encampment in Kingsbury Run. 63 men would be detained during this raid. Once the shantytown was emptying, it was searched by police. It was lit on fire, and it subsequently burned to the ground. I wish they had. I wish everybody had digital cameras back then, so that you could see what this all looks like. Because there's been a lot of things. I've just been like, what? a lot of the like finding the body parts, uh, head and torso, or in a. Uh, there were trousers. Trousers. And there was a red, yeah. like the a blue jacket. Yeah. Um, and then, and then the other things that they found, I, there's just a lot of weird, like the, um, quilt, you know, like, and you, you described it in such a, like, what is, what's weird about a quilt at a dump site? Like, 
Somebody new. Sunstat. Yeah. Um, I mean, if I am, if I picture a dump site here, <laughs> there's definitely some quilts out there in those 100%. piles. Um, but I, uh, now I'm more than anything. I want to know like what the shanty town looks like. But I'm, you also I'm imagining to, like, like Skid Row, like just homeless encampment. But, but you have to like think he's leaving bodies in plain sight, right? Like the person who is hired to catch you can see these two bodies from your window and then you go to all this effort to like hide other bodies put in a dump like what are you doing like that isn't a sane human being that's somebody who like maybe like goes back and forth between ideas about the person they want to be you know what I mean like Mm. I'm not going to wrap a leg in butcher paper Secure it with like high and then leave other body parts completely in the open for the man who was hired to yeah, catch me this uh, sure. I, I didn't. Homeboy is insane. I didn't think I, I actually thought it was more of a sane act to do because you're doing all these things to throw off the people that are looking for you. But at the same like time, you have maybe nothing you're just not the same for them to look at every single time. But at the same time, if you're getting away with something enough one way, why not keep doing it that way? Well, or like slightly wanna... change it a little bit, but not change it every single time because then you're just kind of asking for, I'm going to slip up. Yeah. Well, I've been talking a lot about what our villain has been doing. Would you like to know what our hero, Elliot Ness, has been up to? Just busting people for drinking. <laughs> well, at one point, he's going to focus in on one suspect. This suspect was one Dr. Francis E. Sweeney. A medical guy. Yes. All right. Now, Sweeney had enlisted in a medical unit during World War I, and he actually performed several amputations while on the battlefield. Oh, wow. He had been described as large and physically strong, which somebody would have to be if he's going to use decapitation as a method of... <laughs> Killing peeps. So he's like perfect for inspiring so many horror movies. (laughs) Now, Dr. Sweeney worked at a hospital called St. Alexis Hospital, which was located near Kingsbury Run. But he would be fired at some point due to his alcoholism. So he clearly would have listened to our podcast. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, and which explains maybe the uh, spontaneity to his killings. (laughs) <laughs> the randomness. The randomness. Or not spot. Yeah, randomness. That was the word. Though Dahmer was pretty, pretty much an alcoholic. and Yes, he was. Kind of did the same thing over and he over. He actually reminds me a lot of Jeffrey Dahmer. Now, in 1934, Dr. Sweeney's wife left him. And then she filed for divorce in 1936. This would have been right around the time that the Mad Butcher killings began. When police finally moved on Dr. Sweeney, they made him one offer. And I'm assuming it was an offer he couldn't refuse. An offer (laughs) you can't refuse. Now, he could go with police for a discreet interrogation, or they would haul him down to the station turning him into the media spectacle he deserved to be. (laughs) 
That was a good, uh, you got a little bit of that. Yes, see. Yeah. <laughs> 20s twang on there. Any which 30s way. twang. <laughs> nah, yeah, you see. It was, it was we'll ridiculous. We'll make you a media spectacle, yeah, here. Yep. Well, Dr. Sweeney chose the former and spent the first three days in a luxury hotel simply sobering up. Three days? So he literally was drinking the bee's knees, followed by the survivor, <laughs> the bee's knees, and then the just back to back over yeah, and over, just over and over. Corpse survivor, bee's knees, corpse survivor. Yeah, he was reviving himself from the bee's knees, and he was just enjoying bees the bee's knees. Back down. Corpse survivor. Three freaking days, Jace, to sober up. That's a long time. That means a long time. He was an alcoholic for well, sure. And then he showed up. Once he was sober. Dr. Sweeney was interrogated by four men. L.A.N.S., the untouchable, Dr. Royal Grossman, who is a court psychologist, Lieutenant David Cowles, and Dr. Leonard Keeler, who is actually one of the inventors of the polygraph machine. No way. Yes. This dude was so smart, he figured out how to create technology to tell if you're lying or not. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. But they still won't allow it in court. No. I'm like, that's cheap. <laughs> no. The investigators had to be incredibly cautious because Sweeney happened to be related to a very powerful politician. Congressman Martin L. Sweeney was his first cousin, and he was an outspoken, active member of politics. Everyone involved knew. If the congressman got wind what was happening, it would be quickly shut down. Oh, my gosh. Are you kidding me? No. So it was on Tuesday, August 23rd, that a sober and well-dressed, confident Dr. Sweeney greeted his four interrogators wearing dark frame glasses, which only complimented his confidence and his striking Irish features. And let me tell you, if I could just like summarize, so he, he he's kicked an their Irishman? butts. He just like, they showed up like ready to get him to confess. And he was just like, nope, nope, and nope. The entire time. It's he so just funny. was beyond what they thought they were going to get their hands on. I, I kind of feel, I, I don't know. I had a feeling you he were going to, like, beyond. that's the way this dude was going to be. I also imagine this guy because you 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 said he was this giant dude, just doctor, all that. I was like, who could who could do that? Of like movies that I've seen, and I I think of uh, I think it's called Midnight Meat Train. It's got that English. <laughs> well, first of all, it's got um, no, America's watch, America's heartthrob um, Bradley Cooper. Bradley was Cooper. Was it Bradley Cooper? Yep. We and, literally watched. And it's got one the English soccer guy. With, I don't I even don't know. know his name, but you know who I'm talking about. He's a big ass dude, and he's we the bad guy. We literally watched this on one of our first dates. We did, didn't we? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um. Anyway, so that like tall anyway, English look is Jace, what I was picturing, and Irish guy. is come on, Irish, Scottish, English—they're all kind of the same. They will admit that, but we know it's true. They all have goofy accents, and I guarantee you, he looks at like that. Also, I was picturing um, Kevin Costner. He's about anyway, to interrogate him. He, and I will tell you, Untouchables, Kevin Costner does play Ness. He beat 
he beat them all. So Sweeney was interrogated for hours and revealed nothing. After the initial questioning, which led to little to no information and definitely no confession, Dr. Keeler, who invented the polygraph, yeah, tested Sweeney several times using his polygraph machine. Oh, he actually was testing yes. it, huh? Yep. Nice. Based on the results, Dr. Keeler was confident that Dr. Francis E. Sweeney was the mad butcher of Kingsbury Run. So but without any evidence tying him to the crimes or a confession from his own lips, which was like likely never to come, Elliot Ness was left with a difficult decision to make. And yet we will never know what decision he made because what happened over the next two days is completely unclear. What? Two days after the interrogation ended, Dr. Sweeney admitted himself to the Sardusky Veterans Hospital. From that day, August 25th, 1938, to Sweeney's own death in 65, Sweeney moved from hospital to hospital all across the United States of America. Sometimes it would be at a veterans hospital, and sometimes it would be at a mental hospital. Wait, the like only never s- stayed outside of a hospital. No, the only commonality was that notes, notes, were left in each and every one of Sweeney's hospital files, that made it clear that police were to be immediately notified if Sweeney checked himself out of the facility and left the premises. So there weren't even notes saying police must escort this man. No, it was if he leaves, let you, us know. You just need to let us know. Oh, what? Yeah. All right. So first of all, this dude has... Um, Let's dive in. He's got some Hunter Biden connections. He's got people in He's high places who people. will shut shiznit people. down if they know what's happening. Yeah. And yeah. homeboy Elliot Ness has a choice to make. Like in my sources, it talked about how he was willing for the second Dr. Sweeney left the hotel to have people follow him every day for the rest of his life. That was like a choice that he was willing to make because he knew that's what homeboy Sweeney was out there butchering people. Yeah, and I'm guessing behind closed doors, behind closed doors. um, Oh, the meeting they probably had. Yeah, the meeting. I'm, I'm guessing there was something in there that, I don't know, a lot of back and forth. And eventually this dude, between his family, saying, we know this is you. <laughs> this detective has given us enough. And him really thinking about his life choices. So one fact that cannot be ignored is that once Sweeney admitted himself to a hospital the mad butcher killings completely ceased but there is one strange tangent that i have to address 
before wrapping up the story of Dr. Sweeney and the mad butcher of Kingsbury Run killings. A lawman, and I call him a lawman because I don't know the context of his existence, Sheriff O'Donnell hired a private detective to look into the slayings, and this is what the private investigator found. During the course of this investigation, our PI, named Pat Lyons, stumbled upon a middle-aged alcoholic named Frank Dozel. Frank happened to frequent a tavern where two of our ID'd victims, Andrasi and Polio, also visited. When the sheriff searched a room once rented by Dozel, he discovered human blood stains on the floor and a knife. Dozel literally was arrested and wound up confessing in some like drunken slurred rant to the murder of Flo Polio. According to the confession, Dozel claimed to have had a fight with Flo. Flo's our, our third one, right? Uh, yeah. When she went after him with a butcher's knife. But whether or not there was any truth to what Dozel sl- Dozel said (laughs) in connection to our victim or any of the other victims would remain unseen. Dozel hung himself before he could go to trial. All right. So what do you think about this, like, random appendage, like, red herring? I don't know. I think it's a red herring. Was he just, like, a drunk... Man. It's a red herring. It's a distraction. I I don't think there's... Oh, poor Dozel. Uh, all right. I think it's some sad drunk trying to get a name for himself. Doesn't have anything else going for him. I mean, we see, we see it happen now. Um, I don't know what the mentality is behind that. But the reason I am willing to just dismiss it Mm-hmm. is I think there's heavier evidence in the aftermath of these two days of secret meetings between <laughs> Ness and Sweeney. Yeah. Um, the fact that he goes to these hospitals, the, the insane asylums, and never actually checks himself out out of them like in no, the sense of he does but, but in the sense of he checks himself into he's not like one. out yeah. he's just automatically into the next one uh, I, mean, right. I don't think anybody i don't i mean i don't think anybody's documented another person doing that wow Unless the drugs are really fucking fantastic. It's just like, well, I've overstayed my welcome here. They're on to me. Uh, They know I'm not insane, and I just want the drugs. So I'm going to go to the next one. But the notes left um, uh, that um, tell whatever hospital he's at to let the police know if he's leaving, like that just tells me that this dude probably did it. I don't know. What other... What other things do you possibly have on this? Now, Dr. Sweeney spent the last decade of his life as a patient at Dayton's Veterans Hospital. 
Here, Sweeney would wander around the surrounding neighborhood as he wrote prescriptions for himself on a small pad of white paper. It was also during this decade that Dr. Sweeney, who most people believed to be the mad butcher, wrote incomprehensible note cards addressed to none other than Elliot Ness, perhaps because he at one time considered this man to be his nemesis. Maybe these indiscernible note cards hide the truth of the doctor's own actions buried somewhere within the confusing, scrawled characters. These note cards seemingly the product of a real-life joker, not the joker who moved about the streets of Gotham intentionally provoking the Batman, but rather one who lurked, skulking through the makeshift roads in a shanty town in Cleveland, Ohio, at a time when the world felt like it had gone mad, wrestling with his own monster. Perhaps these note cards are a villain's last attempt at a calling card to reach out to the Batman in his own story in order to taunt a hero one last time. Maybe just to remind this hero that he had failed, that he in fact was never able to catch a villain as he roamed the ramshackle streets of a city, utterly down on its luck, just bursting with victims. No one would notice or miss, many of whom who to this day have never been given the dignity of an identity. But perhaps it wouldn't matter if they had. In a story with a horrifying villain like the Joker and a powerful hero like the Batman, who remembers the names of the victims anyway? <laughs>